If you would, here in just a moment, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 32. And so if you'd like to open your Bible to Genesis chapter 32, back there by the hymn cart, I put some sermon notes. Anybody not have a chance to pick up a, one of those note sheets? We can send somebody uh, to the back. John, would you grab a couple of those? Maybe, looks about 10, something like that, 10 or 12. Just raise your hand and... John will find you, for sure. So yeah, here in just a moment, we'll, uh, we'll begin looking at Scripture. I did want to let you know, I thought it would be a great thing for uh, us to maybe discuss for a minute, but this morning, the, the vote went through overwhelmingly for Cody Mosier to come as our new student pastor, and so we're excited about that. We'll keep moving ahead and getting some more notices out to you. He's wrapping up some things with his students, uh, this group of kids at First Baptist Hera who are graduating were the kids he started with, so we want him to be able to finish out the year completely with, with that group of kids. So end of May, maybe right there after Memorial Day, uh, Cody will get started with us here, here at Emmaus and start investing in our families. Uh, looks like we have a couple more over here, John. What I thought would be interesting is anybody here uh, number one, remembers who your youth minister was uh, back in the day. Uh, and if you would want to stand up and maybe share who that was, what church that was, and an impact that that person made on your life. Anybody want to share a testimony? Yeah, Gail, go first. So, little known fact about Southwest Oklahoma, First Baptist Hobart, uh, Jack Graham, who's pastor of Prestonwood Church in the Dallas area, was at Hobart and also at First Baptist Duncan uh, for, for a while. So, Southwest Oklahoma, Jack Graham was there for a while, but Mike Duncan is a, is a legend as well, so that's a neat connection. Anybody else share about your youth minister? Go for it. That's good. Both of my parents taught school uh, in our little school we went to, so again, you couldn't do anything at school because they would 
they would find out for sure. Anybody else? Stories about your, uh, your youth minister? Impact that, that you had? My youth minister was a gentleman named Mike Keybone, uh, and Mike has spoken a lot at different uh, youth camps and, and different places. He was, he's, uh, pa- was recently pastor at Cherokee Hills Baptist in northwest Oklahoma City, and now he's at First Baptist Lawton. Uh, Mike grew up in Elgin, kind of down that southwest part of Oklahoma, so our little church had, had Mike, Mike Keybone there. So I've talked to Mike in recent days just about that experience and now he and I both being pastors in Oklahoma and he's told me how many times he got fired and rehired when he was our youth minister so uh, Mike was uh, we did some pretty crazy things uh, when, when he was youth minister there but uh, it's a great influence that somebody like that has in in a kid's life and you heard Cody sharing some of that in his testimony this morning so um, I'm thankful for that for sure all right, let's look at Genesis chapter 32 today, and, and then we'll have a time of prayer, and we'll sing a couple more hymns, and, and we'll go from there at the, at the end. Our text begins in verse 32, famous story of Jacob wrestling with, with God. Genesis 32, 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you asked my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of this place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. May God bless the reading of his word. So I thought that over the course of the summer, as we gather on on Sunday nights, and if you need a quick reference for our Sunday night schedule, I printed you one on the back side of, uh, of your notes, so if it's helpful for you to write that in a planner, just tack that up somewhere, you'll have a, have a point of reference, but... Over the course of the summer, I thought it'd be interesting to study the lives of some of the disciples, uh, different disciples of Jesus, look at their life, their impact, what we can learn from them. I've told you before that my family's really uh, come to love that Chosen TV series that was developed. Sometimes, I don't know, I'm a bit cynical and skeptical about those things, and I was kind of a late adopter to it, but the more we watch it and you see the development of the disciples' character and the personality they take on, and it's a really, really touching, moving show, uh, we've enjoyed it. And so just thinking about the disciples and, and what that looks like for us to learn from them. So I, I thought this summer we would take a pathway of discipleship, learning from these disciples, But I wanted to get started tonight in a little bit of a different place because here with this story of Jacob being named Israel, you see a pattern that I think you see multiple places in scripture 
And frankly, I think all of us could see this pattern in our lives as well. And it's very simple. The way discipleship works is you encounter God, you start limping, and you keep going. That's my description of the Christian life. That's my description of what you find here. I encounter God, I start limping, and I keep going. Let's walk through the text and, and see how those points kind of play out here. The first is we find this encounter that God has with Jacob and Jacob has with God. He doesn't realize initially it's God. Verse 22, the same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. A couple of things we learn about this encounter with God. We're going to find out that it's God here in just a little bit. First, Jacob is 97 years old at this point of having this encounter with the Lord. So the moment we say, I'm too old for God to do a fresh work in my life, I'm too old to encounter the Lord, maybe there's somebody who in your life is older and doesn't know the Lord as Savior, and you say, well, probably time has passed for that. Nope. God has encounters with people all kinds of times. And so Jacob here is 97. And notice where this encounter happens. It happens as he's beginning to cross this ford, beginning to cross this, uh, this small stream, this riverbed here. In the ancient world, this type of location was often understood to be guarded by angels. When you came up to a place like this, it was understood in the ancient culture that you would often be encountering a god or an angel. It didn't matter your particular religious culture. It was just this idea, and you get the feeling almost that God is meeting him here at a crossroads in his life. He's meeting him here at a place he's going to have to figure out which direction to go. The background to this text is that Jacob and Esau are continuing to have trouble. They had trouble from the moment they were in the womb, and they're continuing to have trouble in life. And, and this, we're going to see even some of the reconciliation that comes out of it, but, but there's this tension that's going on in Jacob's life. When do we often have an encounter with the Lord? Often in a moment of crisis. Often when we are struggling with a relationship. Often when we find ourselves at a crossroads in life not sure where to go, that is the moment that God gets our attention. That is the moment that he comes to us and we have this encounter with the Lord. Think about how many people you know have come to faith in Christ at a moment of crisis. Think about the number of people you know who have taken a huge step in their spiritual life at a moment of crisis. God meets us at that moment and then begins to carry us forward from that. The other thing you find out here is, is in verse 23, when he's taking his family and sending them across the stream and everything else that he had. And then it says at the beginning of verse 24 that Jacob was left alone. You get the image that God, in a sense, has to separate him from his possessions and his family and get him alone by himself to get his attention and say, Jacob, it's me and you now. I've, I've got your attention. And isn't that the way it works? Oftentimes, God has to get us in a place where he can look at us and say, I need your attention right now. Put the possessions to the side. Put the other people to the side. This is an encounter that I'm going to have with you right now. And so Jacob is put away from his family. He's put away from all the possessions. Anything worldly that he could have held on to at this point, he is literally and metaphorically separated from. And here is God coming to address him. And I think what we have to also catch on at this point is, 
if we're not careful, people can attempt to follow the Lord, drawing on the faith of the people around them, and never personally having an encounter with the Lord. You think of times that, that people, their whole idea of faith is wrapped up in grandpa and grandma, mom and dad, the kids, I grew up in church, and at some point in a person's life, there has to be that personal encounter with the Lord. When you say, he's not just the God of my family heritage, he's not just the God of my country, I know him, and he knows me, and I've had this encounter with him. And you see this happening in Jacob's life here. In the middle of 24, after Jacob was left alone in this moment, it says a man, which the way the Hebrew works here is an individual it's meant to be open-ended, and we're going to find that he has an encounter with God, that that's what's going on here. But an individual here wrestles with him until the breaking of day. So what do we know about this wrestling match? When does it happen? It happens at night. It happens at night. Again, think about what the imagery is giving us here. <laughs> In the darkness that Jacob is facing, literal darkness and metaphorical, symbolic darkness, God comes to him. When does God often come to us? In that dark night of the soul, in that time of darkness when things don't seem clear and it's hard to know which direction to go and the light is not showing you anything, God comes to us and often, friends, he encounters us in that dark night of the soul. He comes to us in the middle of our darkness and says, I'm going to show you my power and I'm going to lead you forward in, in the middle of that. Verse 25 when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of his joint as he wrestled with him. Then Jacob said, or then he said, the, the individual, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said, what is your name? And he replies, Jacob. Now, the pronouns get really difficult to track, and it's almost like the story, uh, as the story is developing, you're almost meant to get lost in it. Like, who's talking to who at this point? And, and even as I was trying to explain it, I was struggling to, to keep, it tra keep track of it. But there in verse 27, he says, Jacob. What do we know about Jacob from the very beginning? This reaching after his brother's heel in the womb, this idea that they're constantly in conflict. conflict. Jacob becomes known as a cheat and, and a deceiver in so many ways. And in the ancient world, way more than our world, a person's name was meant to go with their character, that there's something about Jacob's identity that's going on in this place. So in verse 28, this individual he's wrestling with says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Now, there's a good chance if you have one of the study Bibles or a Bible that has notes, you're going to have a, a note that's going to reference how the word Israel can mean either God strives, God's prevailing, or he's striving with God. Something has to do with this prevailing, this striving that's, that's happening here. What do we know about the people of Israel throughout their history? They're constantly striving with God, and God is constantly seeking after them. One thing you find in this word striving with Israel's name is it's a word that speaks to the idea of endurance. To continue to keep on. Um, so here's a way I can explain it that I think will make sense based on people in your life or maybe your own personality. Did you know 
that being stubborn is a two-sided coin. <laughs> that people with a stubborn personality, there's a hard element to being stubborn where you just drive people crazy who are around you because you're so stubborn with your personality. But then there are times in life that being stubborn is a really good thing, that you have that don't giving up personality. And so when, when Amanda and I talk about our, our kids and their personalities and things, you always think, if I could somehow just take that and aim it in the right direction. <laughs> like when that personality you know, is out of control, whew, man, it gives you a headache and makes life terrible. If we could ever just take that and aim it in the right direction, it could really be used for good. What you find here with Jacob, who becomes Israel, is here you have someone who his stubbornness constantly gets him in trouble. Uh, this idea of trusting the Lord, of giving himself over to the Lord, but the Lord is acting in such a way of, if I can get his attention, if I can get him to trust me, man, I could take that stubbornness and really do something with it. I could move that in the right direction. A way we might say it is, I could redeem his personality. I could redeem his character and use it for my purposes. So you see this happening there. And then what does Jacob do immediately after you get this situation here where, he, where he's given this new name? Verse 29, Jacob asks, please tell me your name. You're like, oh man. You know, this is right after uh, Matthew chapter 16 where Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ and Jesus says, wow, that's fantastic. And then the very next moment, Peter's saying, oh, you can't go to the cross. You can't suffer and die. So Jacob has this incredible moment, and then he turns right around, and he wants more. He keeps going for more. And what does God say to him there? Why is it that you ask my name? Couldn't you have just stopped when you were ahead? <laughs> like we were, at that moment, you could have known that this is the Lord blessing you. By asking a person's name, what's the big deal about that? Here's the key. When Jacob is asking for the Lord's name in this, in the culture, this was a way of wanting to have control over the other person. By asking his name, it's a signal that he wants to turn around and control the one who just blessed him. And God's saying, no, 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 no. The whole reason this is going to work out for you is because I'm the one in control. I need you to take your stubbornness and submit it to me. <laughs> I need you to trust me, allow me to bless you and to control your life. And Jacob turns right back around and tries to take control of his own life back. Who hasn't been there? <laughs> like you get to a point and you say, God, you're good, you're wise, I trust you, I'm so thankful for your work in my life, I know I've made a mess of this, but, but you're good. And then tomorrow morning you try to take it back. <laughs> You try to take back control of your life, and the Lord is saying, no, 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 you've encountered me. We, we've had this discussion. I've blessed you and given you a new identity. Just continue to trust me in this. Don't, don't try to, to take this back. And then Jacob has this reference there in verse 30. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and he seems to get it at this point, and yet my life has been delivered. So first point is that the life of discipleship is learning to trust the Lord when we encounter him. So we, we have an encounter with the Lord. Oftentimes we think about that as the moment of salvation, and, and I think that's right. That, that's what we want to think about that, the moment of salvation, that we have given a new name and a new identity. But it's a powerful thing that we continue throughout life to have encounters with God's goodness. And, and there are times that we get in our own way and the Lord has to get our attention again 
and we encounter his goodness and his power. Think about it in your own life. When have you encountered the power and the presence of God? When has God stepped into your life at just the right time and gotten your attention and said, child, remember, I'm in control. I'm at work in your life. Just trust me, remember who I've created you to be. In the life of discipleship, we need those encounters with God. We need those reminders of how he's at work. Now, when you encounter God, that's no small thing. Uh, because what happens here to, to Jacob? Well, we saw earlier, back in verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then you go down to verse 31, and it says, the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. When we encounter God, his power and his presence, it changes the way we walk, changes the way we live. And I think when you see this element of limping here, what I would draw from that is this idea of humility. In the Christian life, there is no room for strutting. We don't walk around pridefully. We don't strut around as if we have all things under control. In fact, the walking of the Christian life, friends, is often a walk with a limp that we know that we have been touched by God, and it's changed the way we live. And, and some of that pride that, that we're um, sometimes tempted to, to live with has to be changed. We have to remember that when we walk the Christian walk, we walk with a limp, that we've been changed. Let me point you to a passage of Scripture in the New Testament about this. 2 Corinthians is where I'd want you to go. Let's look at two places in 2 Corinthians. First, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So 2 Corinthians, first let's look at chapter 4. And we're going to be in verse 7. So this is 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. Trying to think about, verse 7, trying to think about this idea of, of encountering the Lord and we live with a limp. We're not pridefully strutting around, uh, but we're trusting in him. Here's what scripture says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted, afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, or chapter 12. Turn over further in 2 Corinthians to chapter 12. A famous passage here. If we look in 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. 
But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, probably more than almost any figure in the Bible, who walked with a limp? Maybe literally, it would have been the Apostle Paul. Everything that Paul encountered, that he experienced, these ideas of remembering that God is in control and he walks with this limp. What causes us to limp? Um, Doubts that we have to work through and the Lord carries us through those times. Unmet expectations. This idea of God, I thought you were going to do X and my life looks like Y. And, and that's not what I signed up for, God. And we start to limp because of that in, encounter with the Lord. Uh, just hard circumstances that, that come into our life. And in those moments, God, am I going to trust you, limping, keep going, or am I going to try to take my life in, into my own hands? Uh, hard relationships can cause you to limp through life. Uh, difficulties in the house, difficulties with kids or grandkids, frenemies who you thought were friends, you know, with friends like that, who needs enemies, uh, people in your life, just hard relationships that, that cause some of that pride to be cut out and, and we find ourselves walking with a limp. What happens when you limp a little bit through life? You move a little bit more slowly, a lot more aware uh, of things that are happening around you. You're more aware of how much you need other people in your life. When we walk with that limp through the Christian life, this is not a journey through the Christian life of I don't need anybody else. I can run. I can take care of things. This is the idea of God. I need these people around me. It creates in us a humility that wouldn't be there otherwise. And, and I know many of you would resonate with this or, and aware of this in other ways, but this happens as well um, in, in a call to ministry. This happens as well in whatever God is doing in, in your own life where I think we're all prone to it when we first get you know, into a ministry or into an opportunity of, there's a little bit of pride there, this idea, you know, we can kind of work our way through, and the Lord brings us to a point of encounter that he's in control, he's the one who changes people's lives, he's the one who's in charge of the church, and, and will we learn to trust him? And I can just testify in my own life to, even still as a young pastor, but knowing what it feels like to limp a little bit and pastoral ministry, and the freedom that comes with that, and even the joy that comes with that, to realize this is nothing to strut through, this is nothing to run through, this is the time that we realize, God, you're in control, and, and we're gonna trust you through this. We encounter God, we start limping, and then final point tonight, we keep going. Genesis 32, you go back there if you still have your, your place, the sun rose upon him, in verse 31, this is Genesis 32, 31. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. And then if your Bible does those headings that kind of like lead into a chapter or a section, you see Jacob is going to meet Esau. God has to do this work in Jacob's life to prepare him for what's next because he has so much for him down the road. 
And Jacob is never going to meet Esau if he doesn't have this encounter. He's never going to be prepared to meet Esau if he doesn't have this encounter and begin limping. The Christian life is we encounter God, we start limping, and then we just keep going because we have no idea of what God has in front of us. God, why do I go through this experience? We talked about this this morning. Why do I go through this experience? It's because he's preparing something for us. He's leading us into something, and if we stop in the middle of that encounter and we say, well, I'm limping now. I've been hurt now. I've gone through this, so I'm just gonna sit down right here. You miss the whole point of what God wants to do. When that encounter with God happens, and that limp starts, it's just the beginning of what God wants to do in that person's life, what God wants to do in your family, what God wants to do in our church. God, you're faithful. You're in control. You're the one who leads us on this path of discipleship. And so as we study the disciples this summer, we're going to look for where's their encounter with God? How do they limp? Where is their challenge? What does that look like? And then what are the results of their ministry? How do they keep going? That's going to be our pattern as we look at these disciples. But I want us to begin tonight think about our own life. <laughs> God, where have I encountered you? Where have I limped? And how will I keep going? Let me pray a blessing over you. And then we're going to sing a couple of psalms about this tonight. And we'll wrap up with those hymns about trusting in the Lord in the midst of these situations. Let's pray together. Father, we know that when we encounter you, uh, and often in difficult circumstances, and we begin to limp, our life has changed, the way we live, the way we walk has changed, either we can become bitter and withdrawn and more critical in our attitude and our spirit, or when we begin to limp, we can become more gracious and more humble and more peaceful and more joyful. God, I pray that that would be true of us, that we would encounter you, that you would change the way we live, and that we would keep going. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the hope we have because of Jesus. Thank you for your promises that are sure and steady every day. And God, tonight, as we are reminded again to trust you, Help us not to wake up tomorrow morning and try to take matters back into our own hand. God, that this week we would just continue to limp forward knowing that you're at work, knowing that we are a jar of clay, that God, your glory is shown in and through us as you do your work. And so Father, we pray this together in Jesus' name, amen.